0: Heavenly Father, again, Lord, I thank you for all the blessings that you give to us. We have so much to be thankful for. Lord, this morning, though, as we open up your word, Father, I pray that you will open up our minds so that we can hear the message you have for us. Father, I pray that you will help me to step out of the way so you can speak to this congregation, Lord. Um, Help them to take this word and apply it to their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So continuing our sermon series, uh, we're looking in the book of Acts. We're calling it Jesus's Mission Continues, and it's a look at disciple-making in the early church. And we want to know what lessons we can learn from the early church to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, now one thing that we've seen throughout the early church, and especially in Paul's life, is a willingness to talk about Jesus and a willingness to share the gospel. So just looking at Paul's life, we see a few different styles of witnessing, um, I kind of broke those down into, into three areas, and you, there's probably more, but just real quick, looking at Paul's life, um, different styles of witnessing, we have an intellectual style, a theological style, and finally a, a personal or emotional style. In um, that intellectual style, we see that in, when Paul's addressing the Areopagus in Athens in chapter 7. Um, the theological style, we see that in Acts chapter 13, when Paul is uh, talking to people in the synagogue. These are people who already know God, or have an understanding of God. Um, But then this final style is what we're going to get to see today, is this personal or emotional style. Uh, This is Paul's personal story. Uh, This appeals to the heart of the hearer. And I think we can learn from these three styles and adapt them for use today. Uh, not only that we can, but that we should. And often this third style is the most powerful. And so this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 22. We're going to get hit most of that chapter. It's 1 through 29. Um, and I'm calling this the Jesus line. A lot of you have met our friends Keith and Talia. Um, and Keith and Talia are with Go and Shine Ministries. And one of the things that they do with Go and Shine Ministries is to go around and teach um, evangelism uh, classes and teach uh, people different styles for evangelism and witnessing. Um, one thing that they talk about is sharing your testimony. And they have a couple of different templates that they use to help people to write their testimony. And I'm gonna be honest with you, this uh, title, The Jesus Line, I took straight from them. Uh, they have this um, template called The Jesus Line and it helps you to write your testimony. But it's interesting because it matches so well with what Paul is saying in this, uh, in this section. Um, and so what the Jesus line is, is basically, it means that a disciple is not the same after they come to faith in Jesus. There has to be a change in us when we come to faith in Jesus. So when we talk about the Jesus line, we have before Jesus and we have after Jesus. Before Jesus, and then you meet Jesus, and then you have after Jesus. And then what we see at the end of this is that the gospel demands a response, So before we get into the text, let me give you a quick little review. So Paul finished his last missionary journey by going to Jerusalem. When he gets there, the believers are excited to see him and excited to hear about the spread of the gospel through the Gentiles. However, some of the Jewish Christians weren't too happy about Paul's teachings, especially how the gospel fulfilled parts of the Old Testament. And therefore, Christians didn't need to follow all of the Old Testament law uh, the way it was written. So to satisfy the naysayers, Paul took some of the members of the church and they went up to fulfill or to to take a vow in the temple. Um, But near the end of the vow, so after seven days, uh, some of the Jews started a riot and they tried to have Paul killed. But in the end, Paul ends up being arrested because of the the confusion that follows. Um, But he courageously convinces, convinces the soldier who arrested him to allow Paul to address the crowd. And this is what, this is the address that he gives. Starting in chapter 22, verse 1, Paul says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my, b- my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. He continued, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the law of our ancestors." I was zealous for God, just as you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and to bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul introduces Paul starts his story by giving uh, a little bit of history about himself. He's talking about his credentials. He says that he is a Jew. So he, P- Paul proudly proclaims that he is a Jew. And he's doing this to emphasize that these allegations against him are false. The second thing that he says is that he was born in Tarsus. Now, Tarsus was a city that was known for its scholarship and its culture. So he's saying not only is he a Jew, but he's a really smart Jew. He's very cultured. He had a really good education. And lastly, he points out that he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was a prominent rabbi during this time. Um, We see Gamaliel come up at another important point in the book of Acts, and this was much earlier in the book. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles had been arrested for spreading the gospel, for teaching the gospel. They were arrested, and they were brought before the, the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is trying to decide what to do with these guys because they keep talking about Jesus and they keep talking about how the Jews crucified Jesus and they keep bringing that up. And no matter how many times the Sanhedrin arrests them and tells them to stop doing it, they go out and keep doing it. So they're trying to figure out what to do with these guys. And Gamaliel steps up. Uh, This is Acts chapter 5, verse 33. He says, uh, but when they heard this, They were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do or be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Then he would go on to tell the rest of the Sanhedrin that they needed to watch out, because if this teaching was from God, then the Sanhedrin would be found fighting against God. Or if this teaching was not from God, then it would basically just fizzle out and die off anyway. So the Sanhedrin didn't need to take any action. If they did take action and they were fighting against God, then that would be really bad for them. And if they didn't take action and it was a false teaching, then it would just fizzle out and die anyway. So we see two important points about Gamaliel Gamaliel here. First, and most obviously, we see that he's a member of the Sanhedrin. This was the elite religious ruling class that, that told everybody in Israel how they were supposed to behave. They interpreted the Old Testament law for the Israelites there, for the Jews there. They were the elite ruling class. They were the religious elites. And Paul was taught by the member, by this member of the Sanhedrin. Secondly, and maybe not quite as obvious in here, but secondly, we see that Gamaliel was open to the possibility that Jesus was the Son of God that's promised in the Old Testament. This could be the reason why Paul was able to accept Christ and believe that he was the Messiah. So when Paul is saying that he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, he's, he's giving his credentials. He's saying, look, I'm not just some slum who was brought up off the streets. He said, I am a Jew. I was brought up in a really smart and important city. And I was trained by one of your religious elites. He's giving his credentials. Then Paul not only gives his credentials, he presents his works. Uh, He he shows his zeal for God by talking about how much he persecuted the way. Now, the way, when we see the way in the book of Acts, this is a way that Luke refers to the gospel. And Paul here is referring to the gospel as the way, or talking about Jesus as the way. You see, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through him. So Jesus himself called himself. Is that right? I don't know. Jesus called himself the way. All right, so Jesus is saying that, yes, we are separated from God, our Father. We're separated because of our sin, and our sin broke the relationship that we had with him, but that Jesus came to reconcile our relationship with God. See, our relationship with God needs reconciling because of our sin. God is holy and just, and therefore he cannot let sin go unpunished. So when we sin, we deserve punishment. And since God is holy and just, that sin is going to be punished. And on our own, we can do nothing to escape that punishment. But Jesus came and Jesus took that punishment for us. And because Jesus took that punishment for us, our relationship with our Holy Father can be restored so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus' perfection. When God looks at us, he doesn't see all the ways that we failed him. He sees all the ways that Jesus glorifies him in our life because of our faith in him. Um, Jesus did all this for us to reconcile our relationship with God. And through him, through Jesus, and through his sacrifice and faith in his sacrifice, that is the only way that we can get back to God. When Jesus says, nobody comes to the Father through me, he means there is no other way to get to God and that he is the only way. So when, in the book of Acts, when they're talking about the way, they're talking about Jesus and the gospel. When Paul says he persecuted the way, he's saying he did everything he could to prevent the growth of the gospel, to prevent the spread of the gospel, even to the point of traveling to other towns to arrest believers so that they could be taken to court and killed for their faith. See, this is Paul before Jesus, See, at first glance, when you look at it, he seems to be living a prestigious life. He's a Jew from an important city, from a smart city. He was trained by one of the top religious scholars in their time. So Paul is presenting this, and he says, I was so zealous for God, my faith was so strong, that I was going about killing people who didn't believe the same way that I did. He's showing his credentials. But let's keep reading and see what he says next. Picking up in verse 6, he says, "'As I was traveling and approaching Damascus, "'about noon an intense light from heaven "'suddenly flashed around me. "'I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, "'Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?' "'I answered, "'Who are you, Lord?' "'He said to me, "'I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting.' "'Now those who were with me saw the light, "'but they did not hear the voice "'of the one who was speaking to me. "'I said, "'What should I do, Lord?' The Lord said to me, get up, go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything that you have been assigned to do. So Paul shares the moment that he met Jesus. This is Paul's Jesus line. This is the moment that he meets Jesus. And I want to point out something interesting here. This might be a little bit of an academic side note, but something really interesting here. If we look in verse 8, he says, Paul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus responds, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. It's a little bit different than the first time we read about this in Acts chapter nine, verse five. Paul says, who are you, Lord? Uh, And Jesus says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. The difference there is the modifier of Nazareth. In this telling, uh, Paul includes where Jesus says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And the other tellings, it doesn't include that of Nazareth part. So why why is that important? Why would Paul say that? And why would I bring it up this morning? I think it's important because The the name, the Hebrew name for Jesus, Yeshua, was very common in that day and time. It was a very common name in Jerusalem in that day and time. So in Jerusalem, when Paul is saying, um, when Paul is talking about Jesus, they'd have been like, okay, well, which one? You know, which, it'd be like somebody nowadays talking about Mark. Well, which Mark? Just in my family alone, I think we've got four or five, no, I think three or four Marks just in my family. So which Mark are they talking about? I don't know. When Paul is saying Jesus, when, since he's here in Jerusalem, he wants to clarify Jesus of Nazareth. Be very specific so there's no confusion about who he's talking about. So let's continue Paul's story. All right, sorry, this is the Jesus line. This is where Paul meets Jesus. So if we continue his story, we're going to pick up in verse 11. He says, Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man living according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and saw him. And he said, The God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the words from his mouth, since you will be a witness for him to all the people of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance and saw him telling me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Now that was Jesus telling Paul. Paul responds, but I said, Lord, they know that in in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. He said to me, so Jesus said to Paul, go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So if we look at the difference in Paul before meeting Jesus and Paul after Jesus, see, he goes from persecuting Christians and doing everything he can to stop the spread of the gospel to obeying Jesus' commands. This is what Go and Shine calls the Jesus line, the Jesus line method of sharing your testimony. See, before Jesus, Paul is marked by sin and unbelief, and then he meets Jesus. And after he meets Jesus, his life is marked by faith and obedience. As a disciple, when we look at our lives, we should be able to see a similar pattern. Even if you're saved at a very young age, you should still be able to see that pattern. I've given my testimony before. I won't go through the whole thing, but I was saved at a young age. I think I was about nine years old when I was saved. Before that, in my life, yes, I was young, but I could see the sin in my life. I could see the areas in my life where I was doing wrong things. I didn't know to call it sin, but I knew it was wrong. My language was really bad, and I knew I was lying to my parents. That was bad stuff, and I knew that, especially at, you know, when I was seven, eight years old. I knew that was wrong, but I did it any- anyway. A friend down the street invited me to go to church with him. I, we started going to church, and as a family, we all started going to church. And in that time, God told me something. He says, you know, you're sitting here, and you're trying to do the right thing, but no matter how much you try to do the right thing, it's not gonna make it up. It's not gonna make up for all those times that you messed up. You're trying to do the right thing, and I still love you, but you're still guilty. So I I tried harder to do the right thing. I tried harder to be good, but I kept failing, and I kept failing, and finally, I understood that Jesus came to to take the punishment for my sins, and that it's not about what I can do to be good enough. It's about what he did to pay for those sins. And now as I grow, as I've grown up from that moment, that was, so that was my Jesus line. And as I've grown up from that moment, yes, I still struggle with sin, but I see areas in my life where Jesus is talking to me and saying, that's not right. You need to be obedient here. Be obedient because of the, the sacrifice that I have given for you. Not to try to earn good, good, uh, God's good grace in my life because Jesus has already done that, but to surrender to his will for my life because he wants what's best for me. He knows how to get there better than I do. It's the Jesus line. So going back, uh, sorry, uh, real quick, speaking of obedience, I want to take a side note and talk quickly about baptism. As we see, Paul was told to get baptized. In verse 16, Ananias tells Paul to get baptized. This comes after Paul has come to faith in Jesus. So if you have not been baptized since coming to faith in Jesus, then you are being disobedient. And the Bible shows that Christian baptism comes after faith. So getting back to the Jesus line of testimony, the Jesus line model of testimony, this is something that you can and should probably think through. So as a believer, you should be able to look back over your life and see the evidence of sin and unbelief before coming to Christ. Then after coming to faith, you should be able to, uh, there should be a marked uh, difference in your life, marked by faith and obedience instead of sin and unbelief. Not perfection, but sanctification. It's not something that we do on our own power. This sanctification is not something that we can do on our own, but only through faith and living in Jesus, because His Holy Spirit is living inside of us. See, even if you were saved at a young age, you should still be able to go back and talk about the effect that sin had on your life and the effect that faith in Jesus continues to have in your life. Now, getting back to Acts, let's look uh, at what happens next as Paul says what Jesus tells him to do. So in verse, uh, picking up in verse 21, he said to me, go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened up to this point. Then they raised their voices shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth. He should not be allowed to live. As they were yelling and flinging aside their garments and throwing dust into the air. So the flinging aside of their garments, they were getting ready for a fight. All right, flinging aside their garments and throwing the dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, directing that he be interrogated with a scourge to discover the reason they were shouting against him like this. You see, the Jews, they wanted Paul dead. They wanted to wipe him off the face of the earth, is what they said. And there is a reason for this. There is reason that they felt like this. See, this truth has stuck with me ever since I first learned it. And while well, the first time I learned it and the first time I read it, I didn't like it. But the more I listened and the more I learned and the more I studied, the more I realized how true it is. And this truth is that the gospel demands a response. Now the flip side of that means that we cannot hear the gospel and fail to respond. Anytime we hear the gospel, we respond. Now we can respond positively or we can respond negatively. There are two responses, belief and unbelief, acceptance or rejection. So when you hear the gospel and you respond with faith, this leads to growing closer to God and trusting in him more. See, even if you've been a Christian for years, even if you've been a disciple for decades, or even if you've been following Jesus for all, you know, all of your life, well, most of your life, technically we can't be following him for all of our life because when we're, we are born in sin. But even if you've been following Jesus for decades, every time we hear the gospel, we still respond we still should be responding in faith, and that leads us to growing closer to God. The other option is to respond in unbelief, in disobedience. This, is a, this rejection of the gospel pushes people further away from God. And these Jews, they were rejecting the gospel, and thus they were pushed further away from God. But don't let this discourage you from sharing the gospel. There is always hope in sharing the gospel that someone will believe See this style of sharing the gospel, giving a personal testimony is, is powerful, especially in this day and age, because we live in a postmodern culture. and in a post-modern culture, people believe that truth is subjective, that your truth might be different from my truth. Now we as Christians, we know that that is not true. We know that truth is not subjective, that truth is objective, and truth doesn't be- Truth doesn't care whether or not you believe it. Truth only matters because it is true. Truth doesn't matter whether you believe it. You don't have to believe truth in order for it to be true. But in our postmodern culture, people want to think that your truth can be true for you, but it doesn't have to be true for me. Or I can believe something to be true, and, and your truth can be something different. That's okay. The good thing about that when it comes to witnessing, we can use that to our, our advantage. Because when we are sharing our testimony... That is our truth. Like I just said, the, the terms my truth and your truth and our truth, and these are kind of made up terms, but the way the world sees it is that this is my truth and they can't say anything to take my truth away from me. Our world validates our truth, even though we're, we are reflecting God's truth. And so it is important for us when we are sharing our testimony to make Jesus the hero of our testimony because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the ultimate truth. Jesus is the ultimate truth that we must know. So when we get to our application point here, we're talking about, or we want to know what lessons we can learn to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the first application point comes from knowing, and that is to know Jesus. Know him as the way, the truth, and the life. Have you come to your Jesus line? Have you met him and surrendered to him? Can you look at your life and see how Jesus is growing you closer to God by living in you? If not, you can put your faith in him today and find the answer to your brokenness. Find the hope that you've been searching for. You see, Paul had put his hope in his Jewish lineage. He had put his hope in his education and in his training. And he had put his hope in the zeal that he was showing toward God. But it wasn't enough. And finally, he put his faith and his hope in Jesus. So what are you putting your hope in? If it's not Jesus, it will fail you. Jesus will not fail you. The second application point is, to, is being, is to be changed by Jesus. Be changed by the truth that He is the Son of God. Be changed by the truth that He came to die for your sins, to reconcile your relationship with God. See, this is why it's called the Jesus line, because you can look back to a certain specific point in your life and see where Jesus has come in and changed you. Not changed you in a way that is opposite of who God made you to be, but changed you to make you more in line with who God made you to be, more complete in that he continues to work in you. You see, even now as believers, we must continue to surrender more and more to the gospel every day. We must believe in the gospel more and trust God more each day. And finally, the doing part, the doing application, is to share your testimony. Your testimony is powerful because it is your story. But more importantly, it is the story of how Jesus saved you. And it can help someone else to come to that point of faith. There was a Big Daddy Weave song that came out a few years ago. And one of the main lines in the song says, If I tell you my story, I'm going to tell of His grace. If I tell you my story, I'm gonna tell you about Jesus and how he has changed me. If I tell you my story, I tell you of his grace. So when you are telling or when you're sharing your testimony, make sure to make Jesus the hero of your story. Um, If you've not yet written your testimony, You can go back through and use this model to write your testimony, this Jesus line model. It's a good model to follow. It's not the only model out there, but it is a good model to follow. You go back and you identify your points of pain, your points of sorrow, and your sinfulness before coming to Jesus, before coming to faith in Jesus. And then tell about how you came to faith. This is your Jesus line moment. And then tell about how Jesus is answering your pain and your sorrow answering your pain, answering your sorrow, and helping you to deal with your sinfulness and helping you to grow out of your sinfulness. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your son. I thank you that you sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. Lord, I thank you that you loved us even when we were your enemy, even when we were sinning against you. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed your truth to us. And Lord, I pray this morning that we will surrender to you. I pray that we can surrender more and more to you each day. And Father, I pray that we can take your word and your story, take your gospel to those around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we've come to our point of response. You can respond in your seat, or you can come to the front and pray at the cross, or you can come and pray with me. But please do not ignore the calling of the Holy Spirit this morning.